Thank you for checking out Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I am your host, Mark. And Stephen Laurie grew up with music. His dad was approached by Chaz Chandler before he signed Jimi Hendrix. But his band broke up before they signed a contract and were lost to history. But his father's love of music transferred to Stephen. He remembers being mesmerized by guitars as a toddler. He formed the Telescopes in the late 80s and has been the only consistent member. In fact, the most consistent thing about the Telescopes has been change. Whether it's band members or the sound of the music itself, no Telescopes album is the same as the previous ones. Steven admits that the band stopped doing anything when he lost the inspiration to write. He also admitted that sometimes he's been more inspired by what he didn't want to do than by what he did want to do. He tells me how the fourth Telescopes album was a direct result of not being able to play the third album live. And speaking of live telescopes, the band has a policy of never turning their amps off during a live show, even when they're, they're done. They just see how long it takes for the venue to turn them off. To check out Steven and the telescopes on the socials, pick up the telescopes albums on Bandcamp, and also check out Foam Giant, a new project he's been collaborating on. Check us out at Performance ANX on social media, rate and review the episodes. And you can support us through ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety or by buying merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. Remember to check out all the other great shows on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and thank you for listening to Stephen Laurie on Performance Anxiety. Right, I'm Stephen Laurie from the Telescopes and Foam Giant, and you're listening to me chatting away on Performance Anxiety. I am so glad, Ricky connected us because I've had a chance to go back and and listen to the music that I wasn't familiar with which it, and listening to it and I, I hate that I wasn't familiar with it until now because man it's so good well thanks so the way I like to start everything is to kind of find out how you got into music in the first place uh, you know were your parents big into music or were you taking lessons early on as a kid what was really drawing you or was there a draw to music early on yeah i mean since since i was a toddler really it sort of caught my attention but no i didn't have any lessons my my father was in a band in the 60s oh cool uh, he was about to be signed up by um chas chandler who from the wow. ex animals uh, yeah who went on to sign Jimi Hendrix and stuff, but uh, oh, his, wow. band's, his band split up. <laughs> oh my God, you know, isn't that amazing? You're about to be signed and then you s split up. Like, it's amazing how, and I, not being abandoned on my own, I don't, it's hard for me to imagine how the band dynamic gets to the point where we're about to sign and be a signed band, but we just, no, we can't, we can't keep it together. Yeah, I mean, from what he's told me, there was uh, some erratic behavior and stuff <laughs> like that. And uh, But I think he just uh, had other responsibilities. You know, he's going to university and stuff ah, like that, and getting oh. married and just went down a different path. Yeah, that it happens, man. That's life, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, but... I'm, I mean, I remember as a kid sort of meeting the guitarist out of his band and him showing me an electric guitar. And 
I just thought that it, it came from Mars or something like that. I just <laughs> couldn't stop looking at it, you know. Wow. <laughs> it looked like a spacecraft or something like that. And it was just mesmerized by it. Oh, that is so cool. So guitar was the first instrument that you picked up? A long, long time later in my teens. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe a bit earlier. I think I was given an acoustic like just before I went into my teens, but it just sat there in the room and <laughs> it was alien to me, you know. And then I think once things in life started becoming a bit trickier in my teens and everything and various things going on uh, I started turning to the, the guitar more and like you know I was amazed how quickly I, how easy it was to learn three chords and then you know <laughs> how many songs were three chords and stuff yeah you know? yeah when, when you start to figure that out it, I guess it kind of opens up a whole lot for you I mean, it makes you yeah, wonder why yeah. it was so mystifying in the first place but i'm still trying to figure that out to be honest with you I, yeah so. and then it's fascinating like the, the chords the, the songs that have only really got one chord in them. yeah <laughs> but you don't you don't really realize it until you sit down and work it out we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about, it's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. How old were you when you started playing with other, you know, in bands and and hanging out and playing with other people? Mm, probably 16, something like that. Okay. Did you jump right into gigging or were you guys just kind of like playing in, in the, in the garage or in the bedroom? It was a garage band for a while. And then it started developing into going out and doing pub gigs, but it was, it was kind of going nowhere, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> were you singing in that band? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much started that band, but it ended up with others in it who then became writers and shared singing, and I just couldn't stand what everybody else was doing, so I left. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're more inspired by what you don't want to do. You know? 
that's you might not know what you want to do but (laughs) you certainly know what you don't want to do that's for sure (laughs) Mm. how did you meet the other members of the original lineup of the telescopes most of them were in that band i left oh really (laughs) oh man so telescopes were kind of your second band one yeah one by one they all started i mean i went through a lot of drummers at first there was different drummers and bass players and they all kept leaving because of the guitarist they didn't think he was a very capable musician and all the reasons that they gave me for for wanting to get rid of him just made me want to stick by him and get rid of that that is awesome i love that (laughs) yeah and then since then it's just the the lineups constantly changed you know yeah yeah i did notice that but i've i've also noticed that the sound has changed a lot too but well yeah i mean that came from i mean it naturally evolved out of a kind of noisy sort of angsty sort of thing you know it's yeah. a bit more a bit more poetic than than some you know it wasn't just one two three go you know it was, right but um it, all of that sort of i don't know after a while you feel like you've got that out of your system and you're doing shows and you're playing to people who haven't got that out of the system and it's just keeps going round and round and you're getting back then we used to get spat at uh, bottles thrown at us all sorts of things and you know it wasn't because they didn't like us (laughs) it was like that was just how people showed their appreciation i think it was like a hangover (laughs) from punk shows you know Uh... like because a lot of the diy sort of uh, independent shows that went on back then were were, uh, came out of that scene you know ah okay okay yeah i mean punk punk triggered a lot of diy stuff in england you know and like Oh, kind of invented the pub rock scene as well. Well, that came a little bit before. So, uh, what time? What was this? Like the mid eighties, later eighties? This would be like late eighties, going into the nineties, and like I I just started. um, You see that. I started gravitating more towards the studio and away from that kind of stuff, and I was. The, the vibe was starting to change with the music and stuff over a course of EPs, and then the second album was completely different to the first one. Yeah. Now, at the time when that landed, that was a massive shock to people. I can Reanimated imagine. It fans, journalists, all sorts. You know, they pretty much turned on us. You know. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I, I listened and, to the first album, and it, it's. It's actually really cool because I'm trying to put myself back in like my mindset. What what would my mindset have been back in '89? And taste would have just kind of absolutely blown me away. Well, that went down a storm, you know, that went down an absolute storm and, you know, uh, (laughs) but the change with the next album was just too much of a shock for people. 
it, it was a less noisy, which was to me kind of interesting since that that one was a creation release. Yeah, yeah. Which seems, seems to be the opposite of what creation was doing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when that dropped and the, the reaction it got, Alan just turned around and said, it's a lost classic. And years later, he's proved right. I mean, over the course of uh, from 1990 to 2000, like with the, the, the dawning of the internet and stuff like that, um, it became apparent that it, it had had a massive effect on people, that album. There's bands that had formed around it, like Brian wow. Jonestown Massacre, for one, you know. Um, and they, you know, I know that because they told me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, so there was a huge turnaround to the point where even journalists that had completely slagged it off back then we're now calling it a, a, a lost classic. You know, oh, I read that in the enemy and like, you know, just all these other bands that were coming up, like Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, they were like, they they were doing interviews with journalists that had slagged off the album and they were saying the telescopes were great, you know. So there was a complete turnaround and I looked at all that and thought, oh, hang on, this gives, gives actually gives me a lot of freedom now, this does, because the third album can be whatever the fuck I want it to be, you know. Yes. Exactly. I can just go with what inspires and I don't have to worry about all this scene shit or anything like that, you know, or yeah. any other kind of media bullshit, you know. Exactly. <laughs> no offense to the media. There's a lot of good stuff out there. I'm not anti-media. Right, right. Well, you're doing this podcast, so, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much you count me as media. So, yeah. <laughs> but I've... It's all media, isn't it? And records of media. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really did enjoy the change in the sound from the two albums. I mean, ever so high on fire, so much different from like Suffocation, Seventh Number Disaster. It's just such a shift. I, I love stuff like that. It's just great. And I can definitely, like you were saying, I can definitely hear how it influenced Brian Jones Sound Massacre. And I first thing I thought of when listening to some of this was early Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. I can definitely hear your influence on them. And they're one of my favorite bands of all time. So, you know. But it's not just psych bands either. It's like all kinds of bands come to us because the back catalog is kind of varied. There's electronic albums and acoustic albums, all sorts, you know. Oh, yeah. And then when you Drone get... Drone Yeah, and then... So after 92, the, the second album, the telescope stopped recording. Was it a complete breakup or did the band just go on kind of an indefinite hiatus? Um, uh, oh, did you time, know at the time? <laughs> not really. I mean, at, at the time, I just couldn't see the wood for the trees. Really, it was there's too mm. many cooks, you know, and it yeah. was it was all losing focus about what it was originally about, and it, I ju it just I just crashed from it. You know, I mean, yeah. I was the sole. I've always been the sole writer, and like if I lose my focus, that's it. You know? yeah, that's a good point. You know, so like, um, I, I didn't know if I'd get it back or whatever, you know. But over time, you know, certain things started to inspire me again, you know. Like, uh, like home computers and having your own software and stuff. You know, I, I was now then able to like sample and loop and mess around with things. You know, to my heart's content at no cost. Right. You, doing all that in a studio, like on the second album and all the creation EPs and stuff, 
you know, you racked up a, a massive studio bill doing that stuff in the studio. It was stuff that you could do at home, you know, all the time consuming, like, you know, production stuff. Right. So that led to, I, I imagine that's what led to the unisex album. Uh, no, that kind of... I was sort of... I mean, bits of that album, the songs that I was involved with on that album are like... Yeah, I mean, they've got a bit of that in, but I was pursuing that separately, really. And I didn't realise until I was recording that album with those with that album that because um, I was in the I, I was living in the studio like there all the time and there was I was staying in the space that had a piano organs everything and I had my own computer set up there so when recording finished in the day for that I was working on the next Telescopes album I didn't right. know it at the time but I was I was coming up with all this music and. Uh, I just, I think it was getting together with Randall from Fuchsia and I was playing him what I was doing. And he's like, and I'd done some work with him and he was doing some similar stuff. And I was thinking, this reminds me of what I used to do. And I was doing at the end of the, like the telescopes, you know, like uh, at the end of that first period, you know. Because I, I, I had loads of unfe- like unreleased tracks that were, you know, like very similar to what was going down on third wave oh really okay yeah and i think like it was also peter green from uh double agent records he he was very encouraging him and randall were very encouraging like you really should do another telescopes you know i was playing them this music that i was doing and like and I started thinking about the difference between the first and second album, thinking, yeah, this could be Telescopes. I mean, it's got the Telescopes <laughs> vibe. And you but, set up... But it sounds completely different to the other two albums, but... But you've already you set know, that up, you know? Yeah, I mean, and that was the whole idea of calling it the Telescopes in the first place, you know? It means beyond the realm of natural vision, you know? So it's, it's something that keeps evolving, you know? You, you get to where you're going and then from there you see further to somewhere else and it keeps going, you know. I thought the Unisex EPs were really interesting, like Full Force of the Sun. Oh, damn, that is a great song. So was that a, a like a project where everyone was contributing to it, or were, was there a main songwriter? Were you doing a lot of the work there? That was the the, the main idea was for 
everybody to be, it was open for everybody to write, but it ended up gravitating towards two of us. Ah. Uh, and that's Nick Hemming, who's in Leisure, the Leisure Society now, okay. um, who I named. <laughs> <incidentally>. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, he's gone on to get awards for music and stuff like that. He's done very well. But uh, we tended to write together or uh, and separately. You know, there'd be a couple of two or three that were where he'd do the music and I'd do the lyrics and then there'd be others that I wrote completely and yeah I mean instrumentals that he did completely okay and so that you ended up basically writing a whole, a whole telescopes album without even realizing it was going to be a telescopes album yeah I mean as it, as it started rolling yeah. it was apparent it was going to be a telescopes album and that influenced you know how it progressed and stuff like that but yeah, I mean, on that, the lineup was just, I can't remember, it must have been about 20 people or something like that. <laughs> Man, did you play that stuff out a lot? Was, is that what you talking Well, that's the, that's the thing I was going to say next, actually, is, uh, you see, with having a lineup like that, I mean, the instrumentation on that, you've got pianos, you've got horns, sitars, yeah. drills, <laughs> keyboards, <laughs> loops, you know, loops, uh, beats and stuff like that, all kind of, and then real drums and all sorts, double bass. did one show where we did it completely and wow. there was just no way we could take that on the road <laughs> it was just too much and we didn't have back in either you know yeah. and uh, so that made me look at the live aspect in a different way you know we could play versions if we hone this down to a four piece and keep it like experimental with like analog synths and tabletop guitars and stuff like that. And a few little samples here, like loops here and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, like the Dr. Sample thing going and, uh, you know, Wasp synth. And then maybe we can do versions of, uh, of the songs. So mm -hmm. that happened. And it also, uh, we kept a, a very sort of um, improvised feel to everything there was like certain parameters but they're very loose parameters and so there's a lot of room for that and yeah. that started developing into what became the fourth album four you know i've got some questions about that album that album so, so that, that album was a result of not being able to play third wave <laughs> live really <laughs> <laughs> Now, I was looking, I was, as I was listening to it, I was reading the notes on it, and so it was created between 2002 and 2004, you're saying it was created using unseen forces and homemade and improvised instrumentation.
yeah, yeah, yeah. What what were you guys doing? What kind of improvised instrumentation, homemade stuff were you doing? Oh, it was all sorts. I mean, Jerry is no longer with us now. Like, um, he played the flugelhorn on all of that stuff, but he also did things like, you know, we'd be playing, I'd be like, what on earth's that noise? And you turn around and he's dragging chains across a metal bar and stuff like that. Oh, wow. He had all sorts of things in, like... Um, uh, the guitarist Lauren had like this big sort of like a uh, steel drum sort of thing with all these different palettes that had different notes to them and everything. And he'd kind of rotate this kind of ball in that and like <laughs> put it through his effects and uh, theremins, um, all sorts. I mean, on some of that stuff, like um, instead of like using a hi hat to put some top end in the range when you're recording would do things like just crumple bits of um tin foil really oh, close wow. to the mic and you know put a lot of compression on it and stuff you know that i mean it's, we're doing things like that on the second album as well with like the song like spaceships there's a fizz throughout it and, and that's what exactly what it is it's uh i think we got some alka-seltz and dropped it in lemonade or something like that and <laughs> that by a microphone it's really funny because we had to keep redoing it because at the time people wore digital watches and stuff like that oh, yeah. <laughs> someone's alarm went off on the digital watch and things like that that's the kind of stuff that i love all the the weird studio experimentations and it just makes for such different music unusual sounds and, and stuff that's just haven't heard before and i love yeah. that stuff and in fact number four kind of sounds creepy it's it's almost like like a horror movie soundtrack in certain spots. I mean, I think I think there was a review that said that it was like a missing soundtrack to a David Lynch film. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. I can definitely see that. I mean, the hypnotic pulse of the motor driven, you know, that sets a tone for the album. It's, it's awesome. But I think my favorite track on that is the yearning. I I, I love that song. One, yeah. yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. And it's because everything's so experimental at that time, from number four through like up to like Psychic Viewfinder. It's it so much of this sounds scary. You know, it sounds like almost like it's coming from a really dark place. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh... <laughs> 
kind of kind of like as those albums progressed all the way through to harm and stuff like that it just it was uh, more about improvisation okay but i think harm was coming out of the improvisation a bit because i mean like on say infinite sums it's pure improvisation that is um absolutely nothing was planned on that that's a wild album yeah, I mean, that was just uh, two amplifiers with one mic in between oh, wow. going straight, a unidirectional <laughs> mic going uh, straight into a cassette deck. Wow. But the cassette deck was, um, the levels were just that tiny bit too high. Is that, because it sounds almost abrasive. Yeah, so every now and again you get this like complete sound saturation where the cassette can't handle the levels can't handle it anymore. Like, I mean, when you do that on digital, you just get glitches. Yeah, you know, but on tape you just get this amazing effect. It's 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 like there's another member in the band, you know. Oh, that's cool. bits of that and then it spliced them all together and then we're like harm from harm it's sort of the similar sort of principle but i started bringing more song ideas back in yeah i've noticed you know, that was, you know, sometimes if you leave that alone for a bit you come you start wanting to do it again you know yeah yeah I mean, and see it from a different perspective as well like uh, leading up to that to me it was like why break your back trying to write, you know, like uh, three verses, two choruses, an outro every time, you know? Yeah. Like if, if the song's only got two two words in it, so be it. If it sounds right, if it works, if that's what works, you know, one line, you know, or, or a thousand lines, it doesn't ma matter. Yeah, exactly. There's great songs of both kinds, you know. Exactly. And it, it sounds like you, you, you had given yourself a, the freedom to just experiment with everything i mean it almost sounds like in listening to the eps up to harm it sounds like you're trying to kind of maybe freak yourself out a little bit more with each release you a little more a little scarier a little more horror filmy almost with each release and just seeing if you could scare yourself yeah i mean we're like sort of it's just yeah like yes about musical freedom really i can't really do that um you know, thing that a lot of bands do where they hit a winning formula and yeah. stick to it and repeat <laughs> to fade, you know. Yeah. I just, I, I tried it, but like, um, yeah, it just, it just kills creativity for me. And I didn't notice the band doing a lot of covers at the time, but you do do a Nick Drake song, The Black Eyed Dog, and that is wild. I mean, that's a complete 180 from the original. <laughs>
mean, he's already done the finger picking perfectly, hasn't yeah. he? So you've got to take a, a completely different stance or not do it at all. I was just yeah. that happened by accident. I just put on my, I was messing around with my Watt synthesizer ready to record something else. And I, I got the setting going that's on the record and everything. And I just started singing Black Eyed Dog over it. Oh, wow. I was like, wow, that actually does work. Of course, it's a it is principally a drone song. There's a lot of finger picking in there, but it's based around pretty much around a drone. Every now and again, when I was in between recording other things, I kept going back to that, and I thought, well, I may as well bang down a version and just see see what it sounds like. <laughs> well, I think it's it is so cool. I I love that so much. I was listening to the the singles that you were listening listening to that you were releasing and stuff like like landing shadows it that it, it's just so dense and abstract that I, I when i go back and listen to it i hear new things each time that i listen to it it's it i love stuff like that it seems like mm. it's, it's just layer upon layer influencing you uh sonically um uh, yeah i mean a lot of bands but i mean that is all improvised really wow so it's i don't know if i i mean i, I, I was interested in people like keith rowe and stuff you know i mean for amm you know but like uh I suppose that might have had some influence on it, but then again, it doesn't sound like his his stuff. You know, it's it's got more of a charge to it, whereas I think his is a bit more academic in a lot of ways. I mean, you mentioned this a little bit ago uh, with the Hidden Fields. Some strong song structure comes back into the music where it's it's let you know it's not as improvised, but it's still there is still plenty of. Like the soundscape that you had, there's plenty of that in in that album as well, and it's to me it almost sounds similar to, to Taste in some ways, where it's a little closer to the shoegaze sound than you'd been in in, in a lot of years. We which um, which album's this? Hob, uh, Hidden Fields. Oh, Hidden Fields, right? Yeah. 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 Was there a, was there a conscious decision to do a little more song structure and maybe less of a soundscape? The, Dense, super dense soundscape stuff and, and maybe a little more of the of the older telescope sound? Um, I think it just kind of happened like that. Just organic? Um, Like, uh, I've been doing acoustic shows 
and sometimes there'd be bands on and like they uh, on the same bill and they'd ask if I'd sing like a telescope song with them. Like if they did a version of a couple <laughs> of telescope songs, if I'd come and sing with them, you know, so oh, wow. I started doing that every now and again with a few different bands and with some of them, it develops, you know, and, and started working together more like St. Deluxe from Glasgow. I mean, Joe Foster from Creation, I think he introduced me to them, Slaughter Joe. Um, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he did. And uh, I think we, we did a show together in Glasgow, then we went into the studio together and uh, started messing around with the song. And n- n- nothing really came of that song for a while. Eventually it did. But... Yeah. Uh, We'd go up and I got, kind of got and it had an effect on my writing. So I thought, well, I can write something better for that kind of thing. And so I, I wrote a few and we went back into the studio and that's how Hidden Fields started developing. And yeah, I mean, I'd basically just like sit down, play down the song on a, oh, like a catalog electric guitar, you know, like a Tiesco type thing or something yeah. like that. And, uh, They'd be straight on it, you know. They'd have an arrangement for the bass and the drums and uh, a couple of nudges, you know, or yeah. if they were stuck on a bit, you know, I'd have an idea. It didn't interfere too much. And before, <laughs> before we barely even learnt it, we'd just start rolling takes. And quite often, as soon as you hit the the record, they get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much how that album was done with. And then the other guitarists would whack some stuff over the top. And, you know, if I had any other things I wanted to add and then vocals and that was it. That one was almost like live in a room, you know, oh, I mean, wow. most of it was, you know. So then you ended up doing a, a split release with flavor crystals. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Was that the first uh, release you did with, with flavor crystals? Yeah, it's it's the only one like we've done together, like with separate bands. But uh, I mean, we're we've now kind of joined into an, another band I called know. Band Giant. So and in cool. fact, Ricky's Ricky's away recording with them at the moment, putting some guitar on the next album. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Yeah. I saw that he was. He said he was doing something about it. I'm not. I couldn't remember if if he had mentioned who it was at the time or not. But that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, he's working on the second Foam Giant album. Um, oh, yeah, the first cool. one, first one's not. Well, I think the first one's just coming out now. Yes, yeah. No, I've, I've got some questions about that too. But before we get to there, I listened to Stone Tape also, which that is so cool. I love Stone Tape. That that album is so interesting. The, I, I love how the the vocals are kind of buried a little bit, and and the it's just got this crazy sound to it and it, but there's it, there's a theme to that whole album right uh kind of we kind of i use the theme kind of thing i mean in the title i suppose it's like it's a nod towards stone tape theory where inanimate objects can hold memories
So, I mean, to me, like uh, a record is kind of like stone tape, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I get it now. That makes more sense now. Yeah, it's kind of a loose. There's, there's, it's not like a concept album. Oh, okay, okay. See, that's what I was thinking. That maybe but interestingly, that album was originally going to be a book. Like that label that came to see me after a show in Rome, and they asked me if I wanted to. They're book publishers, and they asked me if I wanted to write a book. Oh wow! About whatever I wanted it to be, you know. Um, so I thought, yeah, that's interesting. So I started with put the writing just kept turning into songs. I said, Look, <laughs> I had a crack at it, but like um, I think I basically just written another album. <laughs> <laughs> although, although a couple of those songs I'd actually written oh as far back as Infinite Sons while I was doing while we we're doing that noise stuff, I was actually writing songs on the side still. You know? Oh, okay. But uh, yeah. Yeah, but and, and then they had to become a record label as well as a book publishing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's just another avenue for them. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At this time, when you're when you're doing all this stuff, are you playing out a lot live? Are you, are you taking these soundscapes and stuff uh, out on the road? Oh yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Oh man, and I guess telescopes fans are are just used to the just a complete changing. Shifting, shifting sounds of the band at this point. That that's got to be such a, a a wild show. Are you are you playing old stuff along with the soundscapes in the show? I mean, how do, how does a a set list with such wild shifts in sound? How do, how does I don't know. How do you do it? It's <laughs> it's the only way to phrase it, really. It, it, the live shows are always like where we're at at that particular moment. Okay. So if it's a kind of a drone vibe, like experimental sort of thing, the whole show's like that. But oh, we might do a, a, a drone, an experimental drone version of the Perfect Needle, oh, you know, or wow. something else. You know, it's like that's the way it goes down. And like now, it's gravitated into kind of what the sound is on like a later album, Songs of Love and Revolution. You know. Okay. Is there a lot of improvisation in the, in the shows? Are you guys stretching things out, or is it pretty pretty well stuck? Yeah, you guys know what you're doing. Not so much with the the, the last time we went out. That the last time, because leading up to that, the, the whole band thing from Hidden Fields up to Songs of Love and Revolution, the way it's kind of progressed live has has been out of improvisation, bringing songs into that. And so, yeah, the, the the whole set was just, to the uninitiated, it, it could seem like the whole set was just one song. Because oh, okay. there's no causes, you know, for the audience appreciation and oh, wow. ego massaging, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> all practical things like tuning up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like... Um, you know, but, but it's we've kind of gone back to we play a set of songs now, and it, at the end, each one has, ends. You know, yeah. <laughs> each one apart has... from the last one. The last one, one thing that we keep is is we uh, we get an energy going at the end of the set, and we always kind of do this, and we we leave it there. We leave the stage, and the music's still going. You know. Oh man, that is awesome. I mean, like, 
the guitars could be hanging in the uh, in the audience somewhere, or yeah. <laughs> one of the audience members can be think that they're playing it, but it's really the effects. Oh, the, that is and, great. Uh, like it's a case of who's going to switch it off, you know, which is interesting to us every night, you know, because we never we never go back on and switch the amps off. It's forbidden in the band. Oh wow. Oh, that so is awesome. We've done our bit. It's like, who's going to switch it off? You know, and some venues can leave it going for like 45 minutes and everyone's outside smoking and oh it's still God. going on. And, you know, see, that's what I would do. Really, it can be really beautiful. You know, sometimes I wish I'd recorded it. Oh, yeah. It'd be almost like, like a version of metal machine music where it's just. Yeah, but this is, yeah, them playing themselves. Yeah. It's not edited, it's all fluids, and it all everything happens naturally, you know. See, I can understand that, though, because if, if I was in in that venue, I'd be like, you know what, I'm not touching, I don't want, I would, I would end up breaking something, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not switching anything off. When we shut down for the night and turn all the power off, that's when it goes off. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. be frightened, I'm frightened to death to touch professional musicians' gear. <laughs> I'm scared to death. Sometimes you see the sound engineer coming on stage, trying to work out where the sounds are coming from. And <laughs> in the end, he, in the end, he just switches off all the amps. Oh. Quite unbelievable sometimes. <laughs> Some of them are really cool about it. Some of them just fade down the the house system after a while, and you can still hear it all going on on the stage through the amplifiers. Oh, that is awesome! I love that. So I, I'm a big fan of noise so I, I love that stuff right yeah. i love feedback and drones and it's oh man that makes me want to come see a telescope show oh yeah there's plenty of that but there's plenty of songs in there as well but yeah and then absence presence came out and it, is that just you doing everything on that because that was released during the whole pandemic yeah that's just acoustic um yeah, I mean, like, they're actually the guys who put out Stone Tape. They, they formed an actual label now. Oh, okay. And they, they asked me to do an acoustic one, because I've done acoustic shows for them for Stone Tape. I did. A, they put one on in Rome for, like, the, the release of it and everything. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and they really like the vibe of that, you know, just the acoustic and at the most it has a Casio organ drone in sometimes. But Oh, wow. They uh, asked me to do, to basically record something along those lines, like how I do it live. And uh, whenever I do those acoustic shows live, it can be a mixture of all sorts of things, really. Okay. Sometimes it can be old, a couple of old songs done differently or and it can be like songs i'm working on at the time or songs and songs that we just released so i was like working on the uh songs of love and revolution album so quite a few songs from that ended up on there but acoustic versions yeah yeah like uh, we see magic and we are neutral unnecessary one of the cool things that that happens every once in a while with this podcast is I find a an a band that's been around for a while that I wasn't really familiar with either because you know the music wasn't widely available in the U.S. or whatever reason, and I just kind of get drawn into it. And once I do that, I kind of become obsessive about it, and I got to get everything. So, and the Telescopes rapidly became one of those bands. I'm just fascinated by 
the entire discography and how it changes. And it changed again with the uh, collaboration with Flavor Crystals again on uh, the album that's that's coming out because that's it hasn't at this time it hasn't been released yet. Um, Acetate Parade with Foam Giant. Yeah. So yeah. Foam, Foam Giant isn't it's you and Flavor Crystals. It's so it's not like it's just it's the combination of the two bands, right? Am I am I reading that correctly? It's basically Nat who plays bass in Flavor Crystals. It's just, it's his baby, really. Okay. It was quite secretive about the way he put the album together. Really. Oh, really? Um, That's fascinating. Yeah, there's, there's so many people playing on it. I mean, some of Flavor Crystals. In fact, they're all on it. And um, there's there's loads of other people on there as well. And like every now and again, I'd be like. Man, who's playing drums on that? It's incredible. And he, there'd be some story about some guy. In oh, oh man, that's awesome. So, but like, yeah, he just like sort of asked me to write the, the the lyrics and put vocals on some of the songs. So your your contribution is vocal, and, and you're not doing the guitar, any of the guitar on it. I I don't do any of the music at all. Oh, just okay. purely vocals and lyrics. kind of half and half instrumental and maybe slightly more songs like with with vocals but the the next one we're working on at the moment every song's got vocals on it you know okay now is is that one where you're contributing to the music or just again just to vocals no keeping it the same same oh, thing cool. we just get a song with the music and you know with sort of like working on telescope stuff it means if I, if I'm if he's doing all the music on that, then I, I've got the time to do it. Then you know, yeah, because I'm always writing, and uh, you know. Okay, so th- is there? I guess I, I imagine there's just a lot of stuff that just hasn't come out. Then, yeah, I mean, I've almost finished another album now, oh, um, which is purely electronic. Oh, really? Yeah, it's using these little things from, uh, like, pocket operators. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No. They're uh, pretty cool little gadgets. <laughs> They're about the size of a credit card, and you can program them up and get all these really low-fi beats on them and stuff like that. So I'm using oh, cool. things like that and, like, mini corks and oh, all wow. sorts of things, really. Is the sound going to be similar to, like, third wave or unisex or is it still a yet different progression of the telescope sound no it's different again oh awesome it's much more song based than third wave oh cool okay and the electronics are a lot more i don't know if maybe messed up in in some way (laughs) they're like uh, they're like broken toys or something oh that is cool with the uh the way electronics have progressed and all is this something that you're going to be able to take on the road are are you doing it like solo or a full telescope's band 
because I know with with Ableton and all kinds of stuff, you can pretty much do whatever you want at this point. Yeah, but it's got to be interesting. I, for me, like it's still got to have that live thing. So it would have nice. to be people playing these little gadgets and stuff. Oh, that would be you know, awesome. in some way. And, but I'm not sure. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at merging that with like guitars as well. Like, but not on this album. Okay. But at some point in the future, I'm just not restricting myself. Like like uh, in a way of making something either purely electronic or purely bands, which I have been doing is is to just take down the barrier between the two of them and just let them filter into each other. But that's something for the future. So I, I mean, at the moment, like we did one English tour for songs of love and revolution and a, a European tour for it was delayed until next month, and now it's been completely cancelled. Ah. Uh, so I'm not sure what's happening on the live front for a while. We can, we can play the UK, I know that, but yeah, we can't keep promoting the same album in the UK. Anymore. Right. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's why, because uh, like I you know, mentioned earlier, I was at a show last night so it was in a little dive bar, you know, it's things are open up over here and I'd, I'd love to to get you guys over to the u.s some someday i'd love to hear live telescopes well i guess i can hear it on the live releases but i would love to see you guys in person because there's just there's nothing like it yeah i mean it's it's all very well playing in your own country at this sort of t- time but um, yeah it's the traveling abroad that causes the problems because you know, if you're traveling through lots and lots of different countries in front of 100 people every night, yeah, there's a good chance one of you's going to catch it, and then everybody has to isolate. So that's the whole tour isolating and gigs cancelled, and yeah, you know, that, that costs. Yeah, and and the the cost of just getting you guys over here is the visas and all. I've heard it's astronomical. Yeah, I I think it did change with Trump or something. I don't know. But. It's just yeah, it's just insane. I, I wish we could because I've I've also heard the opposite is true. Like if going over to the UK or you're, it's it's actually quite inexpensive for a band to yeah. go over and, and be able to play in the UK. Mm. That's our special relationship with the US. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. It sucks because I love so many UK bands. I want you guys to come over here and, and play so yeah. I can see you live. Yeah, it's probably easier for you to come over here. It might, it might actually be cheaper for me to get a plane ticket and fly over there. Cheaper for you to get a private jet and come over. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Mm. Well, so you've got another album that you're working on. Um, is there a, a projected... Well, I mean, gosh, what am I... Probably shouldn't even say that because I think the Foam Giant hasn't even been officially released yet, has it? Uh, no, but I think it's is it March or eight? I think it's March it comes out. Um, March first. Ah, right. Yeah, I oh. thought it was. Yeah. This is available on Bandcamp. There's two extra tracks on the vinyl. That's not on the uh, the digital album, right? I think it's available on the Flavor Crystal site as well. I don't okay. think that links to. Oh, okay, good. And if... Because I'm one of those guys that I, I don't like just digital only. I really f- feel I love having the f- a physical 
copy in my hands with vinyl cd or apparently cassettes are making a comeback so ah uh, yeah we just did, did a cassette <laughs> i can't believe cassettes are making a comeback it's insane. I don't I, have anything I, I can play. I love the sound of them. I love the sound of them. I think they're great. My son is huge into them. He loves them. He's 18 yeah. and he's, he... Right, yeah. Fortunately... That's a nice warm sound on cassette. That, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess... I've always been a big fan of CDs, but that's what I grew up with. But again, it's something I... It was something I could hold on to and I, I, I know that I've got it. So... Yeah. But... Well, Stephen, I know I've kept you for quite a while today, and I'm sure you've got better things to do with your day than just sit here and talk to me. So I want to thank you so much for your time. Where can people, what's the best way for them to follow you, to, to keep track of Telescope's music, and uh, and if you're in the UK, shows? Uh, this is on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram uh, and Bandcamp as well. Okay. So the new album is coming out. Well, by the time this releases, the Foam Giant will be out, and you're already working on another Telescope's release. Is there a is there a time frame for that? Or are you just still in in the recording process, writing, recording? I'm finishing off mixing at the moment. It'll be out this year. Oh, excellent! And I can't wait to hear these little credit card type of sized electronic things. <laughs> I've, I'm gonna have to look yeah. that up too because that sounds really cool. Yeah, pocket operators. Thank you so much for this. this is I'm I'm so happy that I've discovered, you know, maybe thirty five years late, but I've discovered the telescopes, and I can go back and I've got so much to listen to again because I I try to go through as much of the discography as I could since we set this up and it's it was quite the task, but it was a right. lot of fun. It was so much fun. So. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, pleasure.